0: Good morning everybody. Really lovely to see you. Happy New Year. If I haven't seen you uh, since whatever it was, 10 days ago or something like that, in here, out there, welcome. I'm Tim and uh, nice to see half of you. One day we'll be able to see all of each other, won't we? That'll be so good. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else is a bit chilly. You have to get here quite early. It's always interesting to notice who gets the best seats by the radiators and you lot up there because hot air rises and there's plenty of that in this place. But you're um, so so welcome and very good to see you. I I don't know what you argue about over Christmas uh, in your household, um, various things. Probably the the most severe argument that we have in ours is around what films we're going to watch. And I won't rehearse those arguments, but I did notice again uh, yet another survey. What's the best Christmas film? They come out year after year, don't they? And occasionally they, the, the order varies a little bit. But the one that I looked at, put again at the top of that list, best Christmas film, that heavyweight British classic with the slightly dodgy morality, Love Actually. And, um, and, and as uh, Andrea said and Nikki too, uh, we're going to actually focus on on that theme of love, it's so obvious to, um, it, it's such a central and huge and big and sometimes slightly conceptual but obvious thing to talk about. I think sometimes we overlook to talk about love. So I'm really pleased actually that we're, we're doing a short series, which I'm kicking off this morning, around this mind-stretching, overarching, you know, underlying, all-encompassing, heart-rending, innocent-sounding little word called love. But it is at the heart, isn't it, of the top priorities that Jesus gives us, not just for this year, but for every year. I don't know if you're the sort of person who does or doesn't make resolutions. We're not going to really talk about that. But clearly at the start of the year, many people are resetting a bit and they're thinking, what's my priority for the year? And what am I going to do? And how am I going to get fit? And practices and habits and all of those good things, really important. But actually, the two great commandments that Jesus gives to us when he summarizes the whole thing... They're the same priorities year after year after year for every human being who has ever lived on the planet, including us now. So I wonder how they fit with those things that you've been writing in your diary or on your phone or whatever about this year. Are they, are they our priorities? Where do they feature in our priorities? Love God first. Love each other. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love, pe- love, God, love people. It's at the heart of everything, isn't it? If you wanted a, uh, a title for the message, I might just adapt the film title slightly and call it First Love, Actually. First Love, Actually. Where's our first love? Let's think about that for a minute. And actually, we can't start with our first love. I, I, I simply f- I'm, I feel incapable of beginning to talk about our love for, for God without first talking about uh, his for us. Um, because we only love because he, he first loved us. If we want to understand what we're made for, that's a big thing to, to get our heads around, isn't it? More than just kind of getting through from cradle to grave in, in the best way that we can. If we really want to understand as human beings what we are made for, we can't answer that question because we're the ones who have been made. Only the, the maker can answer that question, but he answers it. I don't want to dwell on this, but I, I've got to start there. have to remind us where we start. He answers that question, what we're made for, and the answer is we're made to be loved. That's the reason that God made us. He made you to love you so that we'd experience that love, so that he could express that love. Nicky was in Ephesians. We're going to spend a bit of time in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and this time the verses will come up on the screens, uh, although feel free to find them as well. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Stop right there. Before God even created the universe, he had already chosen you, And loved you. God loved us and chose us. He made the universe so that he could make the earth. So that he could make people. So that he could make you and me. So that he could set his affection and his love upon you and me. That's why he did it. So that he could love us. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Jesus to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, right from the very beginning... To adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. And this gave him great pleasure. I love that translation. Love what it said. This gave him great pleasure. This plan that he had wasn't a mistake in the mind of the creator. This great plan to make everything so that he could make us so that he could love us. Gave him great pleasure. He gives us great pleasure. So the primary reason that you and I are alive is that God made us to love us. And therefore this is our First purpose, I find it so overwhelming, actually. The first purpose of my life is to be loved by God. Let just, let just pause a moment, let that sink in. I'm not going to say anything complicated, but may the Holy Spirit take these realities into a deeper place in our, in our hearts today. The first purpose of your life is to be loved by God. God didn't create us in the first place to do something. He created us to receive something. And that is a life changer, is it not? That is a life changer. I've stood here many times, spoke, I have a sort of thing for noticing adverts which say they're going to give you a life-changing product. I keep coming across them, I add to my list, I came across a life-changing pond feeder. (laughs) Life-changing bleach, can you imagine? Life-changing watches, life-changing lipstick I've come across, but this is is probably life-changing. My first purpose in life is not to do something, it's to receive something. It's not actually to learn, it's not to listen, it's not to pray, it's not to give, it's not to, to sacrifice, it's not to serve. All of those are brilliant and necessarily important, but they're not the first thing. Before all of those things, God created, to be, created you and me to receive his love. To be loved by him is the main point of my life. So our biggest problem in life, in the world, I would say, is not even that we don't love God. First of all, it's that we don't know how much he loves us. We haven't received that love and it hasn't shaped who we are and become that place from which we then live and express ourselves in the world. Here's Paul's beautiful prayer. Lovely that Nikki hadn't coordinated on this. It's lovely that she read it. May I pray it over us again? I pray... That Jesus Christ will be more, this is a slightly different translation, but I pray that Jesus Christ, says Paul, will be more and more at home in your hearts, what a beautiful way of saying it, as you trust him, and may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep that love really is, and may you experience this love of Jesus. And we're familiar here. Not the, not the conceptual, intellectual kind of a knowledge, but the, the experiential knowing. Though it's so great, of course, that you'll never fully comprehend it. Wide enough to be everywhere. Long enough to last forever. Deep enough, this love, to handle anything that any of us ever goes through. High enough to deal with all of our stuff. I read this this week. God says over you, I've always loved you. There's never been a moment of your existence that I haven't. I was the one who planned your birth. I wanted you alive so I could love you. I saw you formed in your mother's womb. I saw you take your first breath. I heard your first cry. And there's been no moment of your life when I've ever turned my back on you that I've not listened to you, that I've not watched you. I've seen every pain that you've gone through, every hurt that you've caused to yourself and to others, the highs and the lows, the happy times, the sad times, the grief, the loss, the exhilaration. I've been there at every moment of your life, and whether you realize it or not, I gaze on you still in love because I made you to love you, says God, our creator. Heard a football manager, Premier League football manager this week, uh, talking about himself and his stuff. And he said this, first and foremost, I'm a football manager. It's what my life is about. It's what I spend my days thinking about, working for. It's just who I am. I was kind of interested by that because we're familiar again thinking here about who are we? What has God made us for? What is our identity? What, we carry all sorts of those identities. How would you finish that line? First and foremost, this is who I am. First and foremost, I am a what? What's the blank that you fill that in with? That highest identity that you carry, God is saying our highest identity is that he's adopted us into his family. That makes us sons, daughters, seated at the the king's table. By the way, on on identity, this afternoon, Hills is going to be running uh, a seminar. I think maybe in one of the buildings over there, maybe Trinity House or or wherever at four o'clock. I just love to encourage us to continue to engage with this. Why does it matter so much that we understand who we are? And how that then plays out in life. Hills is going to take a deeper dive into that and help us explore that. The more deeply we know ourselves then to be loved by God, his sons, his daughters, that's our core. The most foundational primary purpose about us. Then, of course, our response of love comes from that place. And so Deuteronomy 6.5, as we turn it around to us. This top priority, this summary of the law, but from the Old Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and, and, and later, in, uh, Jesus adds in his version, and all your mind, and we're going to be exploring some of those focuses. Together, they add up to an all in, don't they? There are the alls, all in. Are we all in with God? How much of us, how much of our mind, heart, soul, strength, how much of my heart? All in for God. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And that's my particular focus this morning for these few minutes. These commandments, let's just finish it. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Challenge for parents, but let's, let's take up the challenge. So exciting. Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and foreheads, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, everywhere have all kinds of reminders about what? Loving God. Yes, some other things too that flow from that. But most fundamentally, let's not, let's not be so sophisticated that we move away from ground zero, which is the love of God for us and then our, ours uh, for him. And of course, it's super challenging when we talk about all of our heart, not a, not a divided heart, not a compromised heart, and not sharing affections in, in different ways. I mean, that's, that's challenging. There's part of us, and we need to be really careful that we don't fall for this lie of the devil, which says, well, hang on a minute. If I love all, God with all of my heart, then that must mean right, that I love some other people and some other things less. What about my wife? What about my spouse? What about my kids? What about my parents? What about those who are closest? Do do I have less love for them because you're asking me to love God with all my heart? No. Let's remember that that's culture thinking, kingdom thinking. Uh, God is not a pie God, as we say. There's not a finite amount of love here. What we find is that the more we love God, the more we then have love for others. The implication is that if we love God more, we must somehow love others less. No, it doesn't work that way. Here's C.S. Lewis. If If we put second things first, we lose both first and second things. But if we put first things first, we get second things thrown in as well. But then he goes on to say in the same passage, that's quite a familiar one. To love you as I should and as I want to, I must first worship God. When I've learned to worship God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In other words, you want to love your kids more. You want to love your parents more. You want to love your friends more. Love God more first. That's how it works. Beautiful. Revolutionary. Not a pie finite God, but an infinite God. Anybody who's had a, a, a baby will, will know this. You think, how, how on earth am I going to have enough love for, for this baby? How is it going to go around? The truth is God gives you more. C.S. Lewis again, insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, or even instead of God, I shall be moving towards not loving them at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased, he said. Right, I want to come back to Ephesus. Ephesus. because we're based a little bit here in in Ephesians. I've often thought that Ephesus bears a little bit of similarity to Cheltenham. I've said it over the years. It seems to me as I've just thought maybe it's a bit superficial. But here's this center of of commerce and industry and intellect and education, place of trade, quite prosperous, place of great wealth as well as uh, considerable deprivation, place where the Christian faith was competing as a small minority in the marketplace of ideas at that time. Uh, against the prevailing culture of, of kind of consumerism and status symbols of success and intellect and education and uh, probably money, sexual fulfillment, that sort of thing. Seems to me there's quite a lot of resonance, right? Fairly um, uh, interesting comparisons. And the church in Ephesus had started had started really well. Paul was there, Timothy was there, teaching, training, encouraging, uh, and uh, he he taught the church there. Taught the church there. Warned them that they'd come under all sorts of pressures. Of course, as we always do. Internal pressures, external pressures. 30 years later, John, remember the Apostle John, who it's thought had spent some time in Ephesus, is on Patmos in exile and receives this uh, revelation, this heavenly revelation that becomes our book of Revelation. And you might remember the book of Revelation. He, uh, the, the angel gives uh, him messages for different churches. And one of those churches is the church at Ephesus. Revelation 2, if you want to find it. Revelation 2 this message to this church that had started so well. I know your deeds, says the Lord to them, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but aren't, and you found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You haven't grown weary, and yet I hold this against you. And we know the next line, many of us. It's a challenging one. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've lost your first love, actually. So much that's commendable about this church. They're serving away. There's ministry activities going on. They're trying to discern the truth. That's what that verse about discerning the wicked people preach. They're trying to discern the truth. They're trying to preach the truth, stand in the truth. They're they're enduring suffering, verse 3. Hardship there. It's kind of steadfast in that way. Resilience. Lots to be commended. Not losing hope, not giving up on God. And yet there's something fundamentally de- defective, fundamentally defective underneath all of that. Something that's just gone a bit wrong. What is that? It's the first thing. It's gone missing. You've lost your first love. Now, friends, as I say that, I, I'm not beginning to want to imply that I, I know where you stand before the Lord. I have no idea whether, how, how that lands with you. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But I'm pretty convinced about this, because I know many of us, much, you know, most of us here. I'm pretty convinced that we want to know more of the love of the Father. I'm pretty convinced that most of us, if we ask that, question, yeah, I really want to know and to receive and to experience more of the love of God. To, to, for that prayer in Ephesians to be answered, I want to experience a greater depth and security and intimacy of relationship with him. I think that's a strong desire here, and I pray that it will grow. We want to grow far deeper. I know that we do then in the way that we love him as the foundation of our lives. We want to get to aspire to love him with all of our heart, which was challenged by that because there'll always be more of the heart to give. But we go, yes, that is what I want. It's a beautiful thing. And let me say, when we talk about loving with all of our heart, or this phrase here, I don't know how you would read it, John's phrase, first love, we're not talking primarily, or even, or certainly only, about some kind of emotional response. I think it's easy to to connect that phrase, first love, with something that's just about feelings. In In the language of our culture, popular culture, and songs and so on, words like heart, especially words like first love, they kind of lean towards it's all about the feelings thing, mainly about feelings. So in those terms, my first love, in those terms, will be, I think she was called Abigail. I think she was nine behind the science building <laughs> quite quite a few feelings going on there but the bible understanding of heart is not um, a cute red thing shaped I think I've got a picture of it sh- shaped you know like on a greeting card it's not that thing that's primarily about sort of romantic attachment and feelings and, and so on it is that let's have a picture up again it's the thing on the right it's the dirty great muscle a bit ugly actually <laughs> Biologically, that lies within the extraordinary bodies that God has given us. A strong muscle right at the heart of things. That does an awful lot of work and supports a lot of other systems. So sure, when we say heart, emotions are involved. Don't hear me say otherwise. Of course they are. But the biblical notion of heart, and here first love, is much deeper, wider, broader than that. Includes decision-making. Includes attitudes. Includes willpower, and so on. So in Bible language, first love is not referring to that rather beautiful but quite short-lived little period of, of kind of light-headed dizziness when you're swept off your feet, uh, as I remember all too well. It's not referring to that, as beautiful as that short-lived and beautiful period is at the beginning of, a say, a romantic relationship. It's referring to the sense of priority, first in the sense of priority, first love, love first, love God first actually. Of course emotions are involved. First love, loving with all our heart. It's not about a young, kind of immature, emotionally driven kind of a a love, but a maturing one, one based on commitment. So just briefly, here's John's revelation to the, to, 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 uh, the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, th- those early verses. And I'm not suggesting these are comprehensive, but what does he speak into this church that has lost its first love, lost its sense of priority, lost, just, just got a bit a bit uh, gone off track, if you like, on this, off piece? There's three things. He says, remember, this is uh, verse 5, remember where you've, wh- from where you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. So first, remember. Remember, remember, it may be that you feel here, and um, again, Nikki referred to it earlier, that there's never been a time where you've loved God more. Your passion is riding high. Your heart is just bursting with affection for God. Praise God that that's your place and we celebrate with you. It may be that you're here and that you've actually never experienced the love of God or, and therefore love for God. That's just not your language. It's not your experience. You may be still exploring the things of faith, wondering whether God even exists, let alone whether he loves me, let alone how I experience that love. Praise God that you're here. Thanks for being on the journey. Uh, Alpha would be a great place to continue that conversation, to begin uh, that, that wrestle and, uh, and exploring that. But I'd be fairly confident that there'd be some here who would identify with the sense of just having wandered off a bit, just sort of found yourself a bit off peace. You've found that something has cooled. You may not have language for it, or you may, but your heart uh, is dimmed in its affection, let's say. And like the Ephesians, you might be doing plenty of good things, you might be making plenty of obedient choices and all that sort of thing, but the fire of your desire is, 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 um, is on a low burn at the moment. Good news, if that describes you. There's no condemnation there, but there's encouragement from the word of God. And yes, to come back to that place of first love. We might be working really hard. This is always a danger for people like us, isn't it? We might be working pretty hard for God, but have very little sense of working with God or walking with God. he says it's all about relationship and and a loving relationship at that. I live in the same house as as Hills, you'll be pleased to know. We sleep in the same bed. We organize the shopping. We do the chores. We sit around the table together. We parent the kids. We pay the bills. But all of that doesn't add up to a first love, heart love, loving relationship. Because it's so much deeper than just some sort of dry transaction, isn't it? God wants us to know his affection. He wants to know ours you thought of it like that? And you may then remember some times when it wasn't. I can recall some beautiful experiences of closeness, of in the, 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 enjoying, the mutual enjoyment of each other's presence, the prioritizing of making time to, to dwell with the Father in his word, in worship, in conversation came across this story. There's a, a young follower of Jesus who came across an old saint who it was said had never lo- lost his first love for God, and he was intrigued. How, how have you d- managed to do that when so many others that I see sort of start well but then sort of tail off a bit or love goes cold or whatever? And this old saint was sitting on his porch and... Um, he, he told a story. I was sitting here one time, he said, and my dog was with me. And then my dog suddenly saw a rabbit and started belting after this, um, this white rabbit. And, and was chasing it all over the place. And I, I was following, as I, as I could see it here. Chased the rabbit all over the hills with a passion. And soon there were some other dogs from the, the neighborhood who were barking and chasing after the, you know, after the first dog. Something's going on here and they're chasing after the first dog. And they kept, he kept watching this scene. But after a while, all the other dogs stopped chasing. They all got tired and fed up and going through thorns and whatever. And and the old man said, and that's the answer to your question. And the young man was a bit confused. What do you mean? I don't get it. What do you mean? And the old man says, well, why didn't the other dogs continue the chase? And the answer was, well, they hadn't seen the rabbit. They weren't the ones who'd seen the rabbit. They'd only seen the other dogs chasing the rabbit. They hadn't seen the rabbit. They hadn't had an experience of the thing that they wanted to go after. And he said, unless you've really encountered the reality of the risen Jesus, you've experienced the love of the Father, you sense the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in some tangible way, well, then you probably won't have what it takes to stay the course. Presence matters. No amount of Bible theory, as good as it is, propositional truth, as important as that is, is going to be enough to help us stay the course, to to stir passion, to grow enough depth in our hearts, that longing. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, it's a sensual word. See, sensual word, that the Lord is good. Remember, remember, remember times of your first love, says the Lord to the Ephesians. I'll move quickly over the second two. repent. It's the second one in that verse, isn't it? Repent, yeah. Of course, that means getting on our knees. Of course, it means acknowledging where we've, we've gone off track. We've just let ourselves go into places in our thoughts, in our actions, in our speaking, wherever that are, are not the best for us on the heart of God. The weakness, maybe, of our affection, we need to confess, confess our neglect, being real before the Father about that. But it goes beyond that too, doesn't it, to making some different decisions, to making, with God's help, some change of, of minds. We listen to a guy who says this. He says, if, if our thoughts run our lives, then it's our thoughts that have got us to where we are. And if we don't like where we are, change your thoughts. There's some spiritual logic to that. Believe differently. Do some self-examination. Do that thing that Psalm 139 says, Holy Spirit, would you show me where there's any offensive way within me? Would you show me where I'm just not getting this? I've put my affections in a, in a different place. It's a, some people say, um, I, I, ne- I can never hear God speaking. Well, first of all, let's open our Bibles because God speaks through, the, through his enduring word all the time. That's his voice right there. I, I find when I ask that question, honestly, Lord, just show me, just help me. Help me to see where there might be some blockages in the way here. Ask some questions like, so what's, Lord, what's getting in the way of a purer devotion to you? What's getting in the way... Of me loving you with more of my heart. What's getting in the way? And, let, and just listen. In my experience, He'll show us. Where are you putting your first affections if not on Him? He'll show us. I'll use a strong word, but it's a Bible word. What idols are capturing more of our attention than the Lord is capturing and therefore dividing our hearts? I remember seeing a sign in a park in Paris once next to a beautiful flower bed, and it had the same message, well, it had a message written in three different languages. In German, it said, Picking flowers is prohibited. In English, it said, Please don't pick the flowers. In French, it said, Those who love flowers won't pick them. Very creative. But I remember the Lord gently speaking to me through that. Tim, is your heart to me based... Or to what extent might it be based still on some religious obligation and duty? Picking flowers is prohibited. To what extent might it be based on getting my approval, trying to, trying to make me pleased with you, says God to me. Not stepping out of line, please don't pick the flowers. And then to what extent does your relationship with me, your loving father, come as a heart response to the love that you've received from me? Those who love flowers won't pick them. Diagnose a bit with the help of the Holy Spirit is what the message is. Repent, that's what it is. Think differently, pray differently, pray some prayers like David. Restore to me if you need a bit of restoring in this area. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Last one, redo. Back to that verse again. It says, Do again the things you did at first. And to be honest, to me, as I read this again, it sounds like a bit of a dodgy recipe. Uh, to some extent. Just to repeat, can't, that, can't, that can't be a good rule for everybody. What happens if the things that you did at first were, <laughs> weren't very good? Um, surely it's not about just repeating those. And the truth is we don't know what, what Paul is referring to here. Sorry, what John in, in the Revelation is referring to. We don't really know what the Ephesian church did at first, that they're being asked to redo as part of the positioning themselves to, to be all in with God, to have hearts that are uh, full of love for him. We don't know. So we'd only be reading between the lines. I'm going to hazard a guess, though, and based on what we know about Ephesians, I hope it wouldn't be too far off, that some of the things that they engaged in at first, that they've now overlooked, perhaps in their busyness or their whatever, just got into, into ruts and routines, were some things that were a response to their first experience of the truth and the reality of Jesus as they came to, to understand what he'd done for them, as they came to find that their hearts were, were warmed by his love, as they came to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. there will be some things that they, that they engaged in around that that helped to keep them immersed in the love of God, to express the love of God and to remain immersed in the love of God. What we might call some, some habits, some practices... That expressed, but also fueled their love for the Father. Think of them as logs on the fire. We're, we're blessed to have um, a real fire at home. It's been working overtime through Christmas. Uh, again, that would be number two, argument number two. By the way, who makes the best fire? That would be one in our household. We've got through so many logs, uh, and, and, and for one thing, is sure a fire needs feeding. A fire needs feeding all the time, doesn't it? F- The fire in our heart needs feeding all of the time. What feeds it, I think this is what this is getting at. Otherwise it's going to dwindle, it's going to grow cold. So I wonder if the Ephesian church had just got so busy, so active, so complicated, they'd just taken their eye off some simple things that had been logs on the fire. I put a bunch of them up on a a, a picture on the keynote there, and I'm not going to go through any of them. You You can dwell on those sorts of words you can probably add to them. There's some, some fuel for the fire. They can become religious obligations, but at their best, they're, they're logs on the fire that help to express our love for God and to position ourselves to, to know more of His love and then to, to, to speak it out into the world. And every one of those things on that list there is opposed by the enemy who wants to slice us off at the knees. Every single one of those. And every single one of those, number two, requires intentionality, will not just happen. Can we explode the myth, please, that somehow we get to a point in our Christian journey where we're somehow mature enough that any of those things are really easy and come naturally and are never opposed? It's nonsense. Josie's been on the journey longer than most of us. She'll tell you that. Sure, there are days when we love to go straight to our Bible, love to journal, love to, all. I'm not suggesting that's not true, but they will always be opposed and they always require intentionality because opposition is real. So let's keep going. We we refer to some of those things, don't we, as the rule of life. Again, I keep forgetting to wave the leaf at the back. Andrew waved it last week. The rule of life is a way of engage what are my practices? What are the logs I'm gonna put on the fire? Let's see it like that. If you want fire more fire in your heart, I know that you do. Well, how are we gonna feed that and help to feed each other? A Whole bunch of things. That's not just the individual. By the way, I'm going to mention one particular log just because uh, it's good to. Three, three Sundays time. We are taking a little break from this series. A, a man is coming called James Aladaran from an organization called Prayer Storm. Don't miss it. If you don't want your heart stirred, your passion stirred for God, to be all in for God, your heart and motivated with a fresh reception of the love of God and a, a fresh desire to give it, don't come that Sunday. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Check, check him out on Prayer Storm. Really exciting opportunity for us here. We need to stop. Love God with all my heart. Love God with all my heart. As a response to his, his all-consuming love for me. First love, actually. Every, every cupboard of my life open for inspection and cleaning, if you like. Every relationship touched by this love. My love for God permeating my thoughts and my dreams and how I relate to my work or my colleagues or my studies or my money or my recreation or my interaction with my phone and social media and so on and so on and so on it's this covenant relational love that we're called to commanded to beautifully because God knows what's best for us wholehearted life-encompassing community impacting love so 2022 first love actually